0: Okay. Gives me the greatest of pleasure to, uh, to introduce this guy. This guy's uh, one of the first men that uh, I was ever introduced to after I made a decision back in 1977. And uh, his word, I promise, I want you guys to listen with both ears and a closed mouth because uh, he'll bury it right in the middle of your heart. Bobby, come here. Joy to have you all up here. Hope you can come again. Don't wait for our next 1st of March or whenever it is, but uh, amble up this way. I can't invite you to go fly fishing on our three miles of stream, because uh, that's for our guests, but uh, it is good fly fishing. That's a real hot item right now, isn't it? Learning how to... In fact, there's more women and children who do it than then men who take our lessons on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays we're delighted to have you when we first bought the ranch um, back in 6061 uh I was speaking at a men's conference down in Wichita Falls Texas and they had it out on a ranch the owner of the ranch is not a believer but a very wealthy oil man and uh, ran um, probably 50 60 Registered quarter horses. And so, toward the end of the conference, and he sat in on most of it, toward the end of the conference, he said, Bob, he said, when are you heading back to Colorado? And I said, tomorrow morning? He said, well, I can't get her ready. I don't think. But I would like to give you one of my quarter horses and one of her foals. I thought, wow, you know, that I must have really made an impression. Uh, and I was elated, and I said, oh, that's that's gracious of you. He, oh, yeah, he said, I want to do it. And uh, he did it, but uh, he wasn't going to ship it to me. I had to take it with me, and uh, we still have. That was probably 28 years ago, and we still have that quarter horse mare and her foal. And uh it's up here on top of the roof. it's a weather vane. <laughs> you can see it as you get down the steps, uh, right behind the chimney there. Did you ever feel let down? Uh, oh, I could just see this beautiful, you know, and I thought if I don't like it, I can sell it for five ten thousand dollars and keep the full. and Here I end up with a weather vane. Uh, we first bought the ranch. Uh, Lost Valley was uh, already incorporated as a boys' ranch. When you head to Woodland, uh, there used to be a little lake right alongside of uh, the road there, and it got washed out when a dam gave way. And uh, in behind there, there was a, a boys' ranch owned by a group of Texans, and they had already incorporated it under Lost Valley uh, Boys Ranch, so we couldn't use the name. So uh, from 61 till about 65, 66, this was Goose Creek Land and Cattle Company. And we used to get some of the most wonderful letters Dear Mr. Goose. <laughs> uh, truthfully, we got one from an insurance company. Uh, We are sending you this personal letter, Mr. and Mrs. Goose Creek. Uh, In fact, uh, we did get one letter um, from some corporation, and of course they wanted to know about Mr. and Mrs. Goose Creek and uh, their two children. Uh, Where did they ever come up? with the names of land and cattle, because we were Goose Creek Land and Cattle Company. But this is the imperson- <laughs> how impersonal it can get when uh, you're just a name on a computer. And I trust that you're more than just a name on a computer, or uh, you're very unique, each one of you. And uh, we're just sorry that we haven't been able to get to know all of you. Sorry that our son Bob hasn't been here, uh, He'd hoped to be here, but there was a snowstorm in Washington, D.C. yesterday, and uh, their plane was four hours late and leaving for Houston. Got to Houston, and uh, the planes had already left for Colorado. airport was shut down. So he caught the first plane this morning. Couldn't get into Colorado Springs. Uh, Those planes were already filled. So he's now someplace in Denver waiting for a commuter plane to take him down to the springs. And he'll get up here sometime later this afternoon. But on behalf of Bob and son in law Bill, I, I just want to express to you our gratitude for your coming and been a good weekend, huh? Yes, it's been a good weekend, huh? I don't know what I can say to add to what Walt and Gail have shared, man, your bucket's so full, it's sloshing all over. <laughs> uh, But I would like to have you turn with me to the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. And rather than a big dissertation, I'd like to share from my heart and share from the Word of God. A little Bible study before we go down and feed the inner man. Luke chapter 4. The Lord is beginning his earthly ministry, 30, 31 years of age. Verse 16, Luke 4:16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Uh, The synagogue came into being during the Old and New Testament, during the silent periods of Scripture, uh, as a place for the Jewish people, wherever they were, in disbursement and so forth, to hear and to study and to read their Scriptures. Uh, The temple, of course, had been destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem was in the hands of the enemy or... Um, knocked to pieces. And so now when he comes in to his hometown, he goes to the place where they study. And the synagogues today uh, are still used for the study and evaluation of the Holy Scriptures of the Jewish people. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting from Isaiah. Obviously, in his early years, he spent a lot of time reading and memorizing and thinking through on these scriptures that have been given years before by the Holy Spirit to men of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That is my Savior's statement of purpose. That's what he came to do and that's what he did. Verse 20, And he closed the book of the scroll and he gave it to one of the ministers, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bore him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceedeth out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? (laughs) How did they know that it's Mary's son, huh? But from a human point of view, this is the carpenter's son. Interesting that he was very popular at that moment. And they wondered at the gracious words. But, look at verse 28. When he shared with them that this gospel is not just for them, but it's for those from Assyria and Syria <laughs> and uh, the Gentiles and the dogs. Verse 28. And all them in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. And he, Jesus Christ, Son of God, passing through the midst of them, went on his way. Would you turn with me over to the book of Colossians? Paul is in prison, where he wrote so many of his little letters to some of the churches and Timothy, Titus, Philemon, call them prison epistles. Chapter 4 of Colossians, the last chapter, and this is where we'll pitch our tent and the moments that we have together. I've enjoyed so much, I guess I've enjoyed it, Gail's discussion with us all on the book of Job. And I have no idea of what Job went through. The suffering, the heartache, the disappointments, the bewilderment, the testing, handling of these four characters that came to be so-called friends. But as I'm in my mid-70s, I have tasted a little bit of some of the things that go through life. Never dreaming... when we bought the ranch and had a fire and lost the life of a woman, the lawsuits that followed, 61, 65 came within just a hair's breadth of losing the ranch to default in payment. And a near Jewish brother, rancher, up in the high country of Colorado, came to our salvation financially. A couple years later, stood in Penrose Hospital, committed my wife to the Lord that he would not cause any more pain and he would take her home if that was his will. He didn't, but I was ready for that about the same time, invested with a couple Christian guys in a venture in Colorado Springs and had to stand in the old courthouse there in Colorado Springs. Uh, No one really wanted to go with me. But um, Dick Larson's daddy, Elmer Larson, who started the insurance company that they had for so many years right across the street, walked across, and I stood in front of the bankruptcy referee and said I'm guilty in the coming weeks and months to lose our home took our bank account and laid upon us thousands of dollars to be paid and then to spend the next five years tightening the belt far (laughs) beyond what we thought we could to get out free and clear from the indebtedness. Never dreamed. and I'm not laying that on you so you'll be sympathetic with me, but that was all a part. And I, I learned that you do not drink grapes. It has to be crushed. And God says, I'll you no wine before it's time. <laughs> and to drink that cup of wine in its time. And three and a half years ago to go across the street from John Ball's office, Dr. John, who's our family physician, and have the... Paul's a doctor, say yes, Bob. That's it. You see, you can lose money, you can lose your ranch, <laughs> you can lose what Job lost. I often wondered if he kind of wished maybe he'd lost his wife. Uh, <laughs> but We had been married not quite 50 years when we got that pronouncement. And so I'm learning a whole new battle of things to win. And I find that my toughest thing, my toughest battle, is this thing right here. James says it's an unruly fire, set a fire on hell. No man can tame it. But I think, well, there's others, but you know, with God's help and with the Holy Spirit I'll tame it. <clears throat> but when you've got a wife that no longer can communicate, can no longer care for herself, like this morning, took me just about an hour to feed her, to bathe her to dress her, never dreamed that that time would come in my life because she was so sufficient. And so, Colossians 4.6, I claimed the week between Christmas and New Year's a couple months ago. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Would you give me the privilege of taking it out of context, that I might know. How to speak to a wife who no longer can communicate, who no longer can do, no longer can wheel and deal in the kitchen and be the baker and the cook. And nobody's around. Nobody hears what I'm saying. Oh, how easy it is, and I'm not a profane speaking man. But I caught myself just before Christmas by saying, Damn it, honey, why do you have to do that? And I realized, I don't think she understood what I was saying. And so God brought me to this verse. Let your speech be always, always with grace. A lot of you guys know what I'm talking about, huh? With the children, with an employee, on the golf course, in the privacy of your office, in the privacy of your bedroom. To let your speech be always with what? Grace. Gracious words proceedeth out of his mouth. Let your speech be always with grace. Say it with me. Let your speech be always with grace. But I like to put it in the first person singular. Let my speech be always with grace. Say it with me. Let my speech be always with grace. Always. I don't know if you guys, how you react to your wife, your spouse, your children. But on that 21st day, Of January, which is, or December, which is, I guess, the first day of winter. Damn it, honey. That's almost (laughs) contradictory, isn't it? Why do you have to do that? And I don't want to betray my love for her or her as a woman, what she had just done. And the Holy Spirit just wound me up. And that's when I decided I'm going to hang on to this verse. It's a verse I had memorized years before. And I realized that my speech must be always with grace. Even though she may not understand. And, but then seasoned with salt. Let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Say it with me. Let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And so oftentimes it's seasoned with what? Tabasco sauce. Vinegar. It has a little edge to it. I was sitting in the office of a business executive just within the last week. And uh, his secretary came in. And boy, did she ream him out by not just the words, but the tone of her voice. And I absolutely was thrilled with how he handled didn't get up tight, didn't blow her off. And when you can get a car salesman to react that way. You know, you've got something, huh? Any car salesmen here? Ah, <laughs> uh, I you know, I listened to Irv. It's with Phil Longford. She handled that gal. And I said to Irv, Irv Middlemist, I said, Irv. I'm proud of you, the way you handled it. Well, he said, what What did I do? He wasn't even aware of it. But his speech back to the gal was seasoned with salt. Now salt makes it taste good, huh? Or it preserves. So There's a lot of purposes of salt, particularly from the Bible. Let my speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. Let's say it together. Let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Why? So that I may know how to respond to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren, customers, purveyors. The insult over the phone. Now I know that in the authorized version, that I may know how I should answer every man. That I may know how to answer. See, it isn't my actions, it's my reactions that really prove, as Gail was saying, it's the character what lies in the well of your heart will come up in the bucket of your speech. And you think it's down there and you've got a lid on it and nobody knows it. But the reaction, and that's where the profanity comes, huh? That's where the dirty story comes. That's where the, damn it, honey, why did you have to do it comes See, the Bible says what lies in the well of your thought come up in your bucket of your speech. Well, it doesn't say it that way. But as a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. Let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so I may know how I should answer every man. Say it with me. Let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so I may know how I should answer every man. Boy, if we could leave here with the Holy Spirit having control of our speech, huh? our lips, the intimacy with our wife. When we're tired, we're on edge, when things have gone bad. You know your situation. (laughs) As I told you, I claimed this between Christmas and New Year's. Wow. Have I had a chance in January and February? You know, God is so gracious, huh? He says, okay, uh, let's try it for size. And so that drove me back, not just to a verse... But what is this whole passage about? What is the context of this verse that I have kind of taken out of context? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, it really starts up in the 18th verse of the preceding chapter. Because Paul is talking to this little church at Colossae. By the way, he, he had never been there. He just knew about them from Epiphras. Who was his as we 'll see one of his close friends, and this church was besieged with all kinds of intellectual problems primarily and and uh spiritualizing and and the centrality of Christ had been lost one eighteen that at all things he might have the preeminence and he no longer was etc. But then he comes down to the practical and he says, Wives, submit yourselves. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wife. Don't be bitter against them. 20, Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. See how much of this is with the tongue? And then 22, read to the end of the chapter, Employees. In those days it was servants. And then it's interesting that the first verse of the fourth chapter, masters or employers, give your employees that which is just and equal, knowing that you've got an employer in heaven. I want to suggest three things that, out of this chapter that God's been talking to me about on the priorities of relationship and friendship. Number one, It's got to be steeped in prayer. I can claim a verse like this, but I've got to do a lot of praying. Verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. How's my prayer life in regard to my speech, my tongue? How's my prayer life in my relationship with Marian? She's my closest friend. Many years ago, Mary C. Davies wanted to do something for Father's Day, be her husband, her children's dad. And so she made a Father's Day card. I, I have no idea what was on the cover but this is what she wrote on the inside to her husband to my best friend by the way if you are married your, your wife is your best friend huh? I have no better friend than my wife here's what Mary wrote I love you not for what you are but for what I am when I am with you. Isn't that terrific? I love you not for what you have made of yourself, but what you are making me. I love you, my friend, for the part of me that you bring out. I love you for putting your hand on my heaped-up heart, and passing all over those foolish and trivial and weak things that you can't help but dimly see here and now. I love you for ignoring the possibilities of the fool and the weakling in me and for laying firm hold on the possibilities of the good in me. I love you for not seeing the glaring ugliness in me, and for multiplying the beauties of the admiration of them in your eyes. I love you for closing your ears to the discords in me, and for adding to the music in me by worshipfully listening. Hang on to that one, gentlemen. Worshipful listening. I love you for not noticing the rough places in my heart. By the way, Mary's husband had been an alcoholic before Christ came into his life. And so she writes, I love you because you are helping me to make of the timber of my life, not a tavern, but a temple. And of the words of my every day, not a reproach. But a song. I love you, my friend, because you have done more than any creed could have done to make me good. And more than any fate could have done to make me happy. And you've done all this without a touch, without a word, without a sign. For you've done it just by being you. You were my dearest friend. Perhaps that's what being a friend means after all thank you mary huh i need to pray much for my wife and my relationship to her but you know as i was thinking the last couple days for this and what i should share do you have a friend do you have a buddy that you can share your heart with. I'm not talking about your wife now. You know there are so many men. That live a singular life. And you may be regarded as successful. An entrepreneur. But we all need a friend. In Paul's letters. In the New Testament. Over a hundred names. Names are spelled out in his different letters of his friends. In fact, we're going to look at ten of them right here in this chapter. Paul started out with having a mentor by the name of Barnabas. And if you read the book of Acts, it was Barnabas Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, then Barnabas and Paul. And then, it's interesting, as you read the book of Acts, there's a transition. Now it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Isn't that neat? The conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, for so many years, was said, what is the toughest person or the hardest Seat to fill in your orchestra. And what instrument do they play? And without hesitation, he said, The man who can play the second fiddle. We all love to be the Barnabas if there's a Paul, huh? But do you have a Paul? Do you have a Barnabas? Do you have somebody? that you can be praying with and for and spending time. Pray for us, verse 3, that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds. He's in prison in Rome. I want to make it manifest, and I want to do it as I should speak. And I want to walk in wisdom to them that are on the outside redeeming the time Pray for us. Pray for us. Not only prayer, but also relationship. A priority of being a friend is having a relationship. My pastor in Carlos Springs Shared this last Thursday that his mother now has Alzheimer, and so his father who is retired military has thrown in the towel and is now living with another woman and has left her to the family still paying the bills you know our love life is a relationship let's look at some of these verse 7 all my state shall Titicus declare unto you <laughs> notice the three things about Titicus he's beloved he's faithful and he's a fellow a beloved brother a a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Wouldn't that be great to have some friend of yours call you that? See, these are indispensables in friendship. Whether it be my wife or a buddy that I have. I not only need a prayer relationship, but I I need somebody who's got that kind of thing. I think that that kind of a relationship is supportive. Not only Titicus, Onesimus, verse 9, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He came from Colossae. He was down in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, <laughs> the you know the guy who dropped out. Now my sister, the sister's son to Barnabas. If he comes to you, receive him. Don't count him as a guy who dropped out when the going got tough. But receive him. Antiticus, Ananias. Aristarchus and Mark indicate to me that real friendship is bound in relationship because of the circumstances that we're going through. The tough times. The good times. The heartaches. You see, a friend is somebody who knows all about you and still loves you. I think that friendship, a priority of friendship, is that it is inclusive. Verse 11. Verse 12. Verse 13. Jesus, who is called Justice, who are the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God who have been a comfort unto me. Epaphratists was one of you, a servant of Christ, greeteth you, always laboring fervently in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I bear him witness, he's got a zeal for you and them that are Laodicea and Hyopolis. You see, regardless of nationality, of class, of sex, of level of discipleship, your friendships. You're big enough in Christ to be able to wrap your arms around another brother. Regardless of the health of your wife. And each morning, my doctor is the one that got me to do this. He said the first thing when she wakes up, and it's usually 9, 9.30 in the morning, she sleeps 16, 18 hours a day. When she wakes up, Stand her up. Get her to put her arms around you. Put your arms around her. And as we did, we did it this morning. Say, look, Marian, I love you. A bushel and a peck. And a hug around the neck. And I hug her and I say, honey, do you love me? And her brain is trying to (laughs) assimilate that. Honey, do you love me? I want her to be able to say yes, or yeah, or some response, maybe just to squeeze with her arms around my big tummy. You see, it's great when your wife is, you know, and uh, she's all fixed up, and she's the queen of the ball, and everything is Jake. But it may not always be that way. And she's the one who bore the children. And she tasted death to bring them into this world. And here 53 years later, sweetheart, I love you a bushel and a peck. I want my love. I've got an old granddaughter. At the age of 17... She bore a child out of wedlock. That's tough on a grandfather. It's tough on a Christian man. The feeling against the fellow that did it. She was involved. She consented. To put my arms around that little 17, now 18-year-old granddaughter and say... A.J., I love you. I love you. Granddaddy's never loved you more than he loves you now. You see, my Bible says Romans five eight to in that why we were yet sinners. What? Yeah. He didn't wait for me to clean up my act and to give and to go and to do. marvelous grace of our loving lord huh grace that exceeds my sin and my guilt and real friendship is inclusive it, it you know oh how glad i am for you dear black brothers who are here with us you're not just a token we love you in the lord but i think of the chicanos i think of the asians I think of the guys who haven't got it made in business. You know, we've got a businessman in Kettle to Springs that got divorced many years ago now, left a charming wife, a wife who was a nurse and paid for all the bills to get him through med school and, and graduate school and into his specialty. And now he's up into the hundreds of thousands of dollars of income. And when he got his divorce, all of his friends disappeared, seemingly. And when I heard about it, I wrote him a note and said, "I don't understand the circumstances. I don't know what's all involved, but I want you to know I'm your friend." I gave him a couple promises from the Word of God. This will probably go back into the early '70s. I saw him at Furs a couple weeks ago, a couple wives later. And he came and wrapped his arms around me. Why? Because when no one wanted to be his friend because of what he had done, and I don't condemn what he did, but I wanted to stand with him, huh? I want to be the Elmer Larson that will go along with a Bob Foster and stand alongside of uh, the bankruptcy referee and he just held my elbow and squeezed it just to saying bob i 'm here. <laughs> Friendship is not only supportive and inclusive but it 's extensive. Verse sixteen And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church at Laodicea, and you read the epistle from the Laodiceans. Let's just don't keep this thing in the ghetto of Colorado Springs, and our little fellowship in our church, and little CBMC. Thank God for all of that, huh? But lest the thing explode out. As I think of that in relationship to Marion, Going back to verse 6. And so I've gotten involved with a group of men. Penrose Hospital whose wives are also this way i have given just a little money and it's not much to help with the Alzheimer organization that's trying to do research. And they invited me to some of their meetings up in Denver. And, you know, that's not where I'm coming from, but it is where I'm coming from. Because this is where I am today. And I want my relationships and I want my friendships to... Reach out. Let this also be read. <laughs> and you read it. What I've written to the folks at laid it. You see, there's a lot of letters that Paul wrote that we don't have in the Scripture. For some reason, the Holy Spirit said, This, this is the Scripture. This is the canon of Holy Scripture. I'd love to read some of his other letters, huh? But... Maybe someday heaven will reveal them to us. And then the last thing, verse 17. My relationship should be corrected. Supportive, inclusive, extensive, and corrective. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord that you fulfill it. We are to spur him on, not knock him down. We're to encourage him. Give him a pat on the back and not a kick in the pants. I just want to encourage you. In your community. In your business. In your church. In your relationships. Fulfill it. Do it. And if you've gotten away from it, get back with it. Marion can't do what she used to do. Oh, she so wants to. Her hands are always busy. I asked the doctor about that. He said it's probably because all of her life she has served others. Her hands have always been busy making bread, making cakes, making beds, changing the diapers on the children making a dress for Jana, and now the brain can't do that, but her hands still want to. I would imagine I spend, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes a day just picking up stuff all over the house. I've got stuff I have no idea where it is. I have no idea where, for instance, the title to our car is. I have a book that I got from the library in Colorado Springs. She's hid it someplace. <laughs> and so I finally had to buy it. I had to give the library twelve dollars for the book. One of these days I'll find it. She she's busy, 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 huh? I thank God for. Her. I hope she doesn't slow down. I just want to help her be busy, busy, busy. (laughs) Some things I wish she wouldn't do, but uh, in their busy, busy thing, you know, we have a little bottle of Jergens in the bathroom. And so this morning while I was down here having breakfast with Jack and and sitting a little bit on the first meeting, then I went back up to help her get, I thought she was still asleep. And she'd taken the bottle of Juergens and she had just turned it upside down and taken the cover off and just laid it right across uh, the counter. And there's the bottle of Juergens empty and there's all the Juergen cream. And when I went into the bedroom, there she was and she had toilet paper in her hand. That's not unusual. The problem was that she was about 20 feet from the roll, and what she had in her hand, the rest of it all went all the way back to the roll. She got through with the potty. She just took the roll and started walking away with it, you know. Hey, I love her. I love her. Let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt as I see the jurgens and I see that roll of toilet paper, that I may know how to answer my dear wife. My relationship, whether I'm up there taking care of her need or I'm sitting down here having some fellowship with a Jack Howard or whatever else, I want to be a man who is supporting that relationship with prayer. Supporting that relationship with communications. And I want to tell the arthropuses in my life, take heed to the ministry that God's given to you and fulfill it to the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Our verse is... Colossians 4.6, let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that I may know how I should answer every man. Let's say it together. Colossians 4.6, let my speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that I may know how I should answer every man. God bless you. Thank you.